Okay, because today we are going to connect the pieces of all of this for the fountain gate. And so my first slide is much messier than I usually do. It's got a lot on it, but I was trying to show us the things that we're going to do today, and I'm warning you now, today's lesson is full of graphs and pictures and maps, many things from Israel itself. So you're going to want to be looking up a lot today as we go through today's lesson. We are at the fountain gate, and today we are going to connect four things that go with the fountain gate. And our initials are SSTP. And we are going to start with a spring, then we're going to go to a shaft, then we're going to go visit a tunnel, and we're going to wind up in a pool. And all of this is connected to the fountain gate. And so this, I love this lesson. And I just, I hope you will. And stick with me to the end because the ending of this lesson is stunning. And I don't say that very often, but this is. So let's get started on our journey and put all of the puzzle pieces together. First of all, we're going to start in the city of Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem as his city. It is a symbol of eternal reality, and it is about 5,022 years old currently. So this was God, remember God has scripture in the Old Testament. Was Jerusalem his city? He put his name on it. In fact, the city of Jerusalem is built on his name. If you were here for the lesson maybe five weeks ago, the Jewish letter, the Shin, that looks like a W with the hills and the valleys, he built his name, he built the city right on his name. That's the Jewish name for Yahweh. It was a symbol of weakness. Now, who would have chosen this place to make a wonderful city and God the creator put his name on it because he did this to confound the wise? Because it is a symbol of weakness. It's a symbol of eternal reality. Human wisdom would have never chosen this city. Do you know it is adjacent to the Judean wilderness? Just right there. There's all kinds of wilderness beside it. The city of Jerusalem has no great attributes. It has no great river. It has no minerals. It does not have anything like a sea uh, route. It's not on a trade route. But you know what God's showing us here? He can take something that is nothing in man's eyes, and he can make something wonderful out of it. And he takes each one of us who have nothing to offer him, and he can make something out of each one of us when we surrender to him. And I believe that's what he's trying to show when he chose this city that man would have just bypassed. He, and so he takes each one of us. And because I have nothing to offer him, because any gift, talent, ability I have is a gift from him. I have nothing in myself for him. So we're going to start. There's a Gihon Spring and we talked about it, I believe, last week. I have a picture of it for you. This is an actual picture of it underground, and you can see it flowing. Jerusalem barely had a water supply, and the only water supply they had was this Gihon Spring. And if I'm inside the city walls, I live inside the city walls, where was my supply of water? It's outside the wall over there, down in the ground. Now, how is that going to help us here inside the city? And so that's what this lesson is all about. How are we going to get that water into our city? In the Septuagint, the word Gihon means to gush or to burst forth. And so that's this spring sometimes is gushing, and sometimes it bursts forth, and sometimes it's kind of a trickle. This is the spring that last week's lesson with King Ahaz, it says, you have disregarded and shunned the waters of Shiloh, the peaceful waters of Shiloh. That's what this is. Now, there's a man named Kenyon who wrote a book called Digging Up Jerusalem. And he says, in spite of its closeness to the arid Judean wilderness, on the east side of Jerusalem, which it's right outside my wall here, he said, there is a single source of living water. It was called the Gihon Spring, 
and it was called the fountain it was vital to the existence of jerusalem now remember last week we said all through the bible does it not tell us that god is the fountain he is the spring of water he is the living spring so that's the gihon spring and it's an eternal thing that has been there back in the garden of eden so we know that this is god's source for his city for his dwelling place he said water or lack thereof has always made a major impact on man's ability to live in a particular area why would i go to this area and set up a community when i don't have a source of water that doesn't sound very smart does it when you don't have a source of water now the original city of david just the small city of david was surrounded on three sides by valleys remember so they had a valley to the east of them to the west of them and to the south valleys all around but to the north they had nothing and that's where the enemy always came from was from the north i have a picture here and this in the blue oval is the city of david so you see the city of david was not what we think of as jerusalem it had not expanded we have just the city of david here and i have three orange circles which denote the three valleys so we have a central or the tyropian valley to the south we have that kidron or uh not the kidron the valley of hinnom and then on the east we have the kidron valley now if i were to go from the kidron valley and walk across it and start ascending up i'm going to wind up on the mount of olives if I go from the central valley and I start ascending up, I'm going to be at the Temple Mount. And then in the south, that is just a valley. And remember, the Dung Gate is down there in the south. So he says, nevertheless, despite them having strong fortifications in these valleys, he said they had no permanent water supply within the protective walls so here i feel pretty protected in my walls and remember the city of jerusalem was built up and then they have valleys and then mountains again so they feel pretty protected from the enemy except i don't have any water in here you know we need water to survive so here's a picture again and it shows that in the blue oval i'm going to be showing you pictures repetitively because i sat in a seminar years ago that a doctor was doing and he said people need to hear and see something 27 times before they remember it <laughs> so this is about number three okay so but i this is so important to understand we need to get this geography in our mind so all of this is going to make sense by the end of the lesson so they have only one reliable and it is a perennial that means it's always there it always comes back so we have a perennial water source it's in the kidron valley it's outside down there under the ground in the dirt okay so we have a problem we need it inside of us now rainfall in israel was completely seasonal they would have a very short rainy season and then they have seven months of virtually no rainfall so any per permanent settlement i've got to be within reach of that perennial water supply or i'm going to be in trouble so here's our picture again it is the only perennial spring we need to get that in our mind because we're back in the days of david joshua those guys and the only way i have water is out there so this literally is water being supplied for a very thirsty land because they're also on the edge of the desert the wilderness of judea so everybody following so far and in the upper right corner look at that water that we have but we don't know how to get it in here so that was the problem now we're going way back before abraham okay now do you remember that abraham lived over here in mesopotamia and god called him and he said i want you to leave the land of uh, ur of the chaldees i want you to take your leave your family and you're going to go over here and you're just going to travel and i'm going to show you where to go right and so he's going to take him over and show him the promised land the land that's going to be for the children of israel 
And when he got there, the Bible tells us in Genesis who was already in the land. All the Canaanites. Because this is the land of Canaan. And so all those ites that you and I have studied before, the Girgashites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and uh, the Hittites and the Hivites, I think there's about 12 or 13 of them. All of them already lived there. Do you think they want to give up their spot? No. So the name of Jerusalem in the very beginning was Jebus, Jebusites. And the Jebusites controlled it. And they were fierce, and they were not about to let it go. So they're in the land during the time of Joshua. And under Joshua, remember when he took them into the promised land, he said, God's command is that you go in and you drive out every enemy, correct? But they were never able to take Jerusalem. Never. Not even under Joshua, one of my favorites. They never could, but even under Joshua, they could not get Jerusalem. So now I want to connect. We've got, got another puzzle here. We're going to connect the Gihon Spring to the Jebusites. And we are way back in the time before uh, Joshua. So from the time of the Canaanites, around 1800 B.C., until the Second Temple period, the main water source is what? The Gihon Spring. But it was located where? Outside. So we all have that down, right? Okay, good. Now, here's our map again. And so we are in the city of David, and we've got that Gihon Spring, and they know it's there, but they've got to figure out a way to get it here, inside the city. So, And we're still with the Jebusites, well before the time of Joshua. Now, during a time of peace, everything's peaceful, no enemies are bothering me, you know, we can get up in the morning, and what does the man say to the woman? Go get some water out the, well, out the well. So she can go out the gate, take her bucket, and she can get the water. She brings it back in for the day, right? Okay, no problem. And so she does that. But now it's a time of war. There's no way I want to go out there just to go get a bucket of water. Because, well, I'm surrounded by enemies. I go out there and I'll be dead or captured. And so I don't want to go out there. You don't want to go out there when you're under siege. So about 3,800 years ago, these ancient Jebusites built a fortress, and it's going to jut outside the city wall on top of the Gihon Spring. So we have pictures now to help us understand this. How many of you are real visual like me? I can learn more in a cartoon than I can learn in a page or two of a book. And I know my, my slides sometimes show that I like cartoons. Okay, so if you look, you picture you and I are standing, and there is the wall over there. Okay, that's circled in red on my map. Okay, there's the wall. But do you see the two things that are jutting out from the wall? One of them is in kind of a, a dark blue. That was the fortress that they built, and it juts out from the wall so that the water could be in there, and they put a fortress on top of it to protect the water. Y'all with me? Okay. Now, what else is here? It would allow access to the, access to the water in time of war, and we're going to talk about it. Now, do you see the pool in the bright blue to the left of the other one? Okay, this was like a leftover, store, a runover place. So if the, if the one got filled, the leftover, the runover water would go into that pool. So they had both of those there, and that pool's in our lesson next week, and you won't believe what it does with the runoff. So there's some water that goes into the pool for storage. Now, any fortification in, of the Gihon Spring in the valley would be overcome what if the enemy gets inside and you know they're going to have access so we have to make sure that they get cannot get to it so this is where we are going to go from the spring to the shaft so here's our second letter to protect it they're going to close that entrance to the spring down here and what are they going to do they're cutting a vertical shaft 
way up. They're going to name it later Warren Shaft, but they cut a vertical shaft from way down here, and it is going to end inside, right inside the wall, right inside, so they have access to the water. Now, I have a picture here, different picture, and you see the, the uh, kind of in a pink, this represents the city of David. And then if you look, do you see my red circle? And it has a little black line in it. And it says water shaft. So this is the water shaft that they're building from down here where the water is. And I'm going to make a vertical shaft. And the shaft will end right inside the wall. And I've got a picture of it here. This is the actual shaft. And so do you see, I'm now standing right inside my wall, and I've got a place to go, and if I have a rope in a bucket, what can I do? Put the, I can get water out of there, and I never have to get outside of my wall. Isn't that great? Okay, this is a 50-foot shaft built by the Jebusites before Joshua. Now, 400 years are going to pass, from the time of Joshua now, and now it's King David. And David is the one that's going to be able to come capture the city from the Jebusites, and he changes the name of it to Jerusalem. And this is going to become David's city. Now, so here we are. David's at the wall. You can see the fortress there. And remember, the, the enemy would always be lined up at the top, right, watching, and they're looking down on you. So during the time of David, the Jebusites arrogantly boasted to David and his men, we are going to defend this place and you will never have Jerusalem because they had been used to defeating God's people even under Joshua. They were used to defeating God's people and they said, you're not going to get it now. And then 2 Samuel 5, 6-8, they boasted to David, you're not going to come in here but the blind and lame are going to turn you away. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, the city of David. Now, I want you to remember, as we talk about people, these key players in the Old Testament, most of them are a type of Jesus Christ. You know, beginning, you have Moses, you have Joshua, you have uh, David, you have Hezekiah, you have different players, and they tell us something about Jesus Christ who is coming. None of them are Jesus Christ, but they give us some information. They tell us more and more about him. So when he comes, Colossians tells us, all those are your shadows and your types, but here's the real thing. It's Jesus. But we learn by looking at them in their lives and how they dealt with things. So when King David went to conquer the city for Israel, we learn in 1 Chronicles 11, he lines all of his army up out there. And he tells the men, I have a challenge. He said, I need somebody that will go and scale that 50-foot shaft, get inside the city, and then go open the gates and let us in, let the King David in and the army, and then we will come in and take the city. And he said, whoever will do that, they will be the commander of the army. So we find out in 1 Chronicles 11, 6, this is Joab, and Joab is the one that does it, and you can see he climbs this 50-foot shaft, and you can see there's no ladder, there's nothing. It's just him scaling all the way up this 50-foot shaft. I believe this was miraculous that he was able to do that. Now, for us to get a visual, I've learned that an average story is 10 feet. That's average. And so if I, I found a five-story building that had 10-foot ceilings. So this is the size of the shaft that he would have had to start at the bottom, no ladder, no nothing, and he just has to shimmy his way up and climb that shaft. But he did it. And then when he got inside, he was able to go open the gates and let David and the rest of the army in. This is a picture of the shaft. It's now, you can walk on some ladders outside there and you can actually go see it if you like tight spaces so this is Warren shaft that Joab used to enter the Jebusite city from the Gihon spring so now we've connected 
the spring to the shaft all right and this is a picture in 1867 this shaft was discovered and they named it Warren shaft not Joab's this was Joab's shaft but Charles Warren discovered it and so it's named Warren shaft and a bunch of some of his crew tried to shimmy up and they couldn't do it they had to do scaffolding and ladders in order to be able to do it and you can see they have walkways now and it's a tourist thing so now we've done the spring to the shaft and now I want to link King David to the Gihon spring see we're making a journey connecting all of our pieces here so if you remember here's the little city of David because that's what there was during David's time and in a point of interest here the Gihon Spring was a place of strategy, a strategic point, but it was also a ceremonial point. They had ceremony there. So let's look at a couple of these. The Gihon was chosen as the proper place to anoint Solomon as David's successor. In the 10th century, they had a palace coup. Ah, one of the other boys wanted to be king. And he tried to make himself king and get the people to elect him king, but they have to thwart that coup. So here is Adonijah. Adonijah was uh, David's fourth son, and his mother was Haggath. So he decides he wants to be king because David's very sick and about to die. So he's going to make his bid for king. He gets a bunch of chariots, and he gets 50 men to run before him and with horses, and they're going through the streets and proclaiming that he's going to be king. Well, Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet hear this. They get wind of it. So Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet go tell King David the secret. This is what Adonijah is planning to do. So King David got Nathan who was his chief prophet he got Zadok his priest and he got uh, there's a third one in a minute okay anyway he's talking to them and they go take Solomon he says I want you to take Solomon and take his mother Bathsheba and get him down to the Gihon spring and anoint him as king okay so that's their plan so he's got three big of his men that are in his kingdom and he's got his priest his prophet and Benai who was his highest leader they stand before David and David said it's time now for the real king to begin his ascension on the throne so these three men that we just mentioned and their followers David gives one more seal one more thing for them to do that will put his stamp of approval on Solomon he says go get the king's donkey because this was the one that belonged to the king and no one could ride on it except the king and he told him go get my donkey and put Solomon on it so this was a, a, a place of authority this is who is going to be the king now David as esteemed as he was did he ride on a donkey yes he did and a donkey denotes humility in a leader. Now, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, true? Yes. And here is a very important statement. Humility in a person never takes away from their power. Never. Because most people, if they have a humble leader and they see the humility in their leader, their pastor, their teacher, whoever it is, they see humility, they are willing to follow somebody that's humbled before the Lord. Because it shows that person's heart and they want to serve the people instead of oppressing them. So humility does not make you a weakling. Humility really will exalt you more to a place of influence and power that people are willing to follow. So, you can see we're down at the Gihon Spring in the upper right corner, and we have the priest, and we have the prophet, and we have the top uh, military leader. Solomon's going to be anointed at the Gihon Spring. Now, you remember when David brought the Ark of the Covenant there to the Gihon Spring, and he had a tent made for it. 
so he could go in there it was a covering because we didn't have a temple and so this is where he worshiped god and he made a tent for it so the tent for the ark of the covenant was erected and they anointed him before god and the oil and the trumpet that was in the tent that's what they used to anoint uh, king solomon and announce that he was going to be the new king in place of david now there's some key things for us to see here solomon rode from the home of his father down to the spring and back to the father's house that is so interesting to me because we know what the Gihon spring is it is God he is the eternal source he is the fountain he's the river it's the it's life now on the way back when Solomon goes back and he's been anointed king and he's on the donkey what happens the people are shouting praises to their new king this foreshadows Jesus entry into Jerusalem because that's exactly what happened to him now it says Jesus rode in on the same roads that Solomon did a thousand years before in the same manner there's a donkey riding on a donkey with the people shouting all the coronation praises so this is a foreshadowing of the Messiah who will do the same thing and the people will also be shouting and praising now I, I saw this and I thought these were so really good key points in both cases it was the father that chose the donkey for the son both cases because what happened in the New Testament remember Jesus said go tell the guy over there to, that I need that donkey the, the master has use for him so go get that donkey God's hand is in every part of the Bible and when you begin to see Christ on every page and you see all the types and the shadows the Bible will come alive to you and you won't want to put it down what else is in there that I haven't seen yet so it foreshadows Jesus entry into Jerusalem so now we have done the spring to the shaft to King David and now we're going to a tunnel so we're going to move ahead and we're going to be introduced to King Hezekiah and I have a map for you it says in the 8th century BC in the purple there Assyria was the dominant power of the ancient Near East and when they had gotten so powerful what do you think they want more of more land more expansion more power and the prophet that is included in this event is Isaiah so we have a prophet Isaiah during this time now on our map it's 722 BC Samaria which is the capital of the northern kingdom the ten tribes Samaria is the capital and what's happened to them they have been attacked and destroyed by the Assyrian king and all those Assyrian invaders and many of them are taken captive and they're taken over in the area of Nineveh now do you remember who started Nineveh ah thank you you remember you got an a yes <laughs> you know for some of us it was always important to get that a <laughs> I was one of them okay so when I got a when I got a B in algebra 2 I went home and cried I mean I just that was my first B couldn't stand it and then after that I was over it <laughs> okay so anyway they took him over there Nineveh was started by Nimrod this was part of Nimrod's kingdom all of that area over in the Babel in the Fertile Crescent Nimrod started all of that and he built a kingdom clear up to uh, Nineveh in that area and Nimrod is a type of Satan the Antichrist okay so that's another lesson so anyway they have it's 722 BC and Assyria is going King Hezekiah is the 13th successor of King David and he reigned in Judah from 715 to about 686 BC he had a very close relationship with Isaiah the prophet and the Bible tells us that King Hezekiah was a man who did right in the eyes of the Lord, initiating a series of, of uh, reforms. Remember, he would go through and they cleaned the temple, they took all the idols and they crushed them and they threw them over in the Kidron Valley. 
so he was really good on that now hezekiah became king and he's king of the southern kingdom in judah all right but his father is old ahaz and as we saw last week what did ahaz do he made an alliance with assyria and said we're going to pay you tribute money and you know we'll be under you well this is what hezekiah inherits so the king of Assyria keeps after him, you owe me tribute money. And he said, I'm not paying it. So he's going to try to break from that. In 715 BC, King Shinnachrib of Assyria invaded Judah, and now he's always marching towards Jerusalem because every enemy wants what? Jerusalem wants me, God's dwelling place. Always, the enemy wants God's dwelling place. So Jerusalem comes under siege by King Shinnachrib of Assyria, and he's out there, I want my money that you owe me. Your father and I had an alliance. And he said, you pay up, I'm going to capture you. So what did Hezekiah do? He rebelled. He says, I'm not paying any attention to you. I'm not paying any money. And he said, I will not serve you. And now, in the meantime, he goes over to Egypt. And he makes a defense treaty with Egypt. When we get in trouble, y'all come help us. Oh, yeah, we will. They got in trouble. Where was Egypt? Nowhere to be found. So that's what happened when you make an alliance and a treaty with the enemy. So we're in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, and Shinnachrib, king of Assyria, comes up against, what's the next word? All the fenced cities of Judah and how many did he take? All. So here is the king of Assyria making his inroads into the southern kingdom. And he has all the fenced cities except Jerusalem. So Hezekiah started ruling at age 25 and he ruled 29 years. This is his 14th year. How many years does he have left? 15. So this is the year he got sick and God granted him 15 more years, right? So he's got 15 years. Now I have a map here, and this map is showing on the far right is the Dead Sea. So to the left, you've got all these fortified cities that were in the uh, nation of Judah, and he had taken all of them except Jerusalem. That's a fierce enemy, and I'm the only thing left that he needs to conquer. So King Hezekiah of Judah sent to the king of Assyria, who's down at Lachish. Do you see that on the map? Jerusalem is the red dot up here, and Lachish is southwest, about 30 miles. So, and he says, Hezekiah is now telling that to me, I've offended you. Return from me that which thou puttest on me, I will bear. In other words, I'm ready to pay up. So what does he do? This picture is very telling. The king of Assyria demanded payment. 11 tons of silver, a ton of gold. Hezekiah gave the enemy all the silver and gold that's in the treasury of the royal palace and the temple. And then this picture even tells what else he did. It says he took the gold off the doors of the temple of the house of God and from the pillars which king hezekiah of judah had overlaid and he gave it all to the enemy to the king of assyria okay so have we gotten rid of everything we've gotten rid of all of our resources now shanachrib of assyria you see him sitting there and he's willing to take everything but guess what he doesn't leave the land why because his goal is to take jerusalem He'll be back. He'll be back. So, 14 years later, and it is now 701 B.C., King Shinnacherib comes back, and he's going to attack Jerusalem. Now, when we know we're going to be attacked, is preparation important? Yes, we need to be prepared. So what does he do? He rebuilt Jerusalem's fortifications. Fortifications. He made weapons and he built storehouses. And we now come to our next link. He's going to make a tunnel. So let's see how the tunnel fits in because the tunnel is going to go with number one, the Gihon Spring. So it says in Second Chronicles, 
Hezekiah sees that Shinnacherib is coming and he's purposed to fight against Jerusalem. He takes counsel with his princes and his mighty men and here's our purpose, my army. Stop the water of the fountain that is outside the city. And they helped him. So now we got to stop that water. There was gathered many people together. They stopped all the fountains, the brook that ran through the midst of the land. And they said, why should the king of Assyria come? And why should they go out there and find all the water? We don't, he wouldn't even let the horses water there. He shut it all up. Now in verse 5 and 6, he set to work resolutely. He built up all the wall that was broken down and he raised, put towers on it. Outside it, he put another wall. He strengthened the Milo and the city of David. He made weapons and shields in abundance. He set combat commanders over the people. He gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and he spoke encouragingly. You see the leader? How's he speaking to his people? Encouragingly. Now in verse 7 and 8, be strong and be courageous. Don't be afraid or dismayed because of that king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that's with him. It didn't matter. For there's more of us than be with him. With him is only an arm of flesh. And he said, but with us is the Lord our God to help us. He's the one that will fight our battles. And when you have a leader like that, what did the people do? They rested themselves on the words of Hezekiah, their king. Because of the way he was treating them, because of the way he was speaking to them. So now we're going to have a confrontation. It's not long until Shinnacherib and the Assyrians had taken 46 fortified cities in Judah. They settled in Lachish, and they're down there only 30 miles away. And they are planning the siege and the capture of Jerusalem. And they are fierce. They know how to do battle and capture cities. So what happens? Shinnacherib sends Rebshekah. This is like his field commander. He sends them to the walls, and he is telling them, he's telling them to give the message to the people of Hezekiah. And he mocks the God of Hezekiah. And then Shinnacherib besieged Jerusalem, and he said, I have trapped Hezekiah in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. Well, that's what he thought. And he demanded that Hezekiah and all of the people of Jerusalem surrender to him. And Isaiah's over here. Uh, I want to remind you of something. He said, do you remember God's promise a year ago? When the Assyrians return, what was the promise? God will defend and he will deliver the city of Jerusalem. Why? For his sake. It is the name of God in his honor that is to be protected and glorified and raised up. For his sake and for my servant David's sake. So in Isaiah 8 verses 7 and 8. Therefore behold, the Lord brings upon them the waters of the river. Who's the... Who's that river strong and mighty? The king of Assyria. And all of his glory. And he's going to come up over all the channels. And he's going to go over all of his banks. And ladies, this is fascinating. He can pass through all of Judah. He's going to overflow and go over all of it. But he will reach only to the neck. What does that mean? Because if you've read that before, you just went right on. Let's see what it means. You see my map of the kingdom of Judah in the gold? And the Bible goes on to say, talking about the king of Assyria, he's going to stretch out his wings. He'll be able to fill the breadth of the land, O Emmanuel. And that's what he's doing. Did it say he has all the fortified cities? Okay. He shall reach even to the neck. Who is the head of the land of Judah? Jerusalem. He will reach only to the neck. And that's all he was allowed to do because God's going to do a miracle. See, so when you see that, he's reaching even to the neck. What does that mean? Now you know because you can look at the outlay, the geography here, and he will not be able to come in to the head. So we have a miraculous liberation in Isaiah. Therefore, he, 
talking about the king of Assyria. He cannot come into this city, God's dwelling place. He's not going to shoot an arrow thereon, nor come before it with shields, nor cast up an embankment against it. So what happened? God's promise is going to be fulfilled that he made. Remember, Isaiah reminded him of the promise. God's going to defeat that Assyrian army. It may not look like it. It may look like the circumstances are impossible. God said, I will defeat them, and they will leave. God's going to care for his people. You will not starve. And Shinnachrib, he cannot lay siege to Jerusalem in spite of all of his threats. This is God's dwelling place. Verse 36. The angel of the Lord went forth. He smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Miraculous liberation has the promise been fulfilled? Yes. And in Second Chronicles thirty-two thirty, it says it was Hezekiah who stopped the upper outlet of the waters of the Gihon. He directed them to the west side of the city of David. He diverted the waters of the Gihon, prevented the enemy forces under Shinnacherib from having access to the water. And in Second Kings twenty. The other events of Hezekiah's reign, all of his exploits, how he made this pool and the conduit and brought the water into the city, they're recorded in the annals of the chronicles of Judah, the kings of Judah. Now we're going to go back and I'm going to show you how they did it. You know they did it, right? Okay, let's see how they did it. So we have a, here's his first thought. The enemy's coming, I've got the water supply, and we've got to protect this source of the fountain from the enemy. How are we going to do it? What's our strategy? How to secure continual access to the fountain's water for only the people that are willing to be in God's dwelling place. Right? That's our problem. Now, this tunnel was constructed about 3,000 years ago. It is Hezekiah's tunnel is one of Jerusalem's most incredible landmarks. Even by today's standards, the construction of this 1,750-foot subterranean passageway is an extraordinary feat of engineering purpose of this tunnel fortify the city of David against this invading Assyrian army we don't want to compromise our main water source though the Gihon spring which is outside the walls so I'm going back to this picture because we've got to build on our pictures now so you get a real good picture of everything going on the shaft had been constructed by the Jebusites and it was still in use. That's how they were getting the water. Remember the shaft? Put my bucket down there and bring it up and I'm inside. It was still in use, but now do you see in my yellow dot down in the bottom left corner these little wavy blue lines? Y'all see them? Okay. This one has holes in it. And the water is going to seep out, and it's going to water the king's garden. Ah, next week. Another awesome lesson. So if you look at this, you can see the water from the Gihon overflowed into the Kidron Valley. And then it's going to be used to irrigate crops, vines, and fruit trees. So will the water from there be able to bring the, the crop? We're out in the desert we're in an arid wilderness will it be able to make the food and everything and sustain the people inside oh yeah okay so we see what's going on here now if they don't address the problem though the Assyrians are going to get all the water outside the wall so those in the city walls could die from thirst during a siege because can the enemy go in and block our shaft they could now here's my plan Hezekiah stops the channel of the Gihon spring that sent water outside the city of David. And he's going to build a new water system, and he wants to divert all that water underground, and it's going to wind up down there at the pool of Siloam, at the bottom of the city of David inside the city wall. So now I have a cutaway picture for you to show the, the tunnel underneath. The blue circle designates the source of the Gihon Spring. And then do you see the blue wavy line? This is all underground. 
that tunnel is 1,750 feet and it's going to deposit the water down there at the yellow arrow at the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam. Some of you, I can see your mind is working about where all this is leading. Now, he had his engineers redirect the water and he carved this 1,750 foot water tunnel through solid rock. This is about the uh, length of six football fields. See, I always have to get something like that so I can kind of see it in my mind. Now, the workers began tunneling through the rock on either end, and they are going to meet incredibly in the middle. And at the perfect gradient, just a nice gentle gradient, where the water will go down into the pool. Is this a miracle? Absolutely, it's a miracle. Now, I know this picture is a little hard to see, but this is, I lightened it as much as I could. But you can see somebody has drawn the workers in the, in the tunnel, and they're just about to meet. And you remember, these people had pickaxes. You know, they didn't have all the modern stuff that we do. They're going to meet in the middle, and then the water will begin to flow from God himself, the Gihon Spring, and it will flow down into the pool of Siloam. Inside the tunnel, there is this inscription carved, and it's in Hebrew. It was an engraving called the Siloam Inscription. It was discovered in 1880, and this documents the story of the tunnel's construction. Isn't it amazing how archaeology always substantiates the Bible? Always. So here is the original on the left uh, that is in, I think it's, I forgot where it is right now. Anyway, it's among the oldest extant records of the kind, and it's written in Hebrew that used the Paleo uh, Hebrew alphabet, where they used pictures more. And its association with the tunnel provides evidence, yes, the Bible is true, because this tells exactly, exactly what the Bible says. Now, carving the tunnel was a monumental task. It was a snaking channel. Did you notice? It's not straight. And so they're going through solid bedrock by laborers from both ends. The bold strategy meant that the tunnel could be constructed faster. Here we come, here we come, here we come. But it required exceptional engineering skills. So the difference in height from start to finish, from my red circle to my yellow one, the only difference is not quite one foot. So do you see? It's a gentle, it's six football fields. And so we have a gentle, not quite a foot, slope gradient there now it had to be a perfect gradient flow of water for it to continue to be able to keep flowing now an amazing feat this is not cut on a straight line it curves back and forth makes all kinds of twists and turns and I've got a picture uh, actually inside the tunnel there that will show you this is one of the twists and turns in it you know, so these guys are working, and I don't have a straight line. I've got six football fields, and I've got a little pickaxe. You know, this is miraculous that this could even happen. So even today, scientists are baffled about how the team successfully met in the middle. Uh, their best guess is that rock-sounding techniques were used. So there's probably no one today that could do this with, with the equipment that they had back then. Now... The tunnel has been dated using various methods, including radiocarbon dating. Oh, yeah, we agree with the Bible. It was during Hezekiah's time. You know, so, so they have substantiated that. And I've given you a few pictures now. If you just want to look up here, here are some pictures of inside the tunnel. You can see places are very narrow. And then you see, isn't that refreshing? This is refreshing. And you see it just comes down. There's going to be all kinds of nooks and crannies, you know, for it to turn and twist. And now we're going to connect the tunnel to the pool of Siloam. So we've come from the Gihon Spring. We went to a shaft. We went to connected it to King David. We have connected it to Hezekiah and his tunnel. And now we are going to uh, the pool of Siloam. Hezekiah's tunnel located under the city of David, connects the Gihon Spring, which was 
remember it's the only fresh water supply and it's all going to wind up in the pool of Siloam now this is an important picture for you to see real important because I always had the, the idea that the tunnel was kind of on the periphery of the city no it goes under the center so if you can see do you see the little snake like thing in blue that's showing where it actually is under the city of David and so number one my red arrow shows the Gihon spring number two the blue arrow shows the Gihon remember he built pool and towers and so then we have uh, the snake like thing that shows us this goes all under the city not just on the outside of the city and then if you look at the big circle with the water in it that's the pool of Siloam that's where it's going to be deposited and then you see the runoff pool with the yellow arrow that's where some excess is going to be excess water so that really gives me a clear picture of where this tunnel is under the city of David now the pool of Siloam provided water to the inhabitants of the city of David and the inhabitants on Jerusalem's western hill remember when Hezekiah built the big broad wall out there and so it extended out there and so this was developed and settled during the time of King Hezekiah in 2004 now see I went in 2000 and they told us the pool of Siloam was over here they were wrong because it's been discovered where the real pool of Siloam is in 2004 workers for the ear I think that city of David foundation they're an organization that funds many of the archaeological excavations in the city of David they discovered some steps that were leading down to a trapezoidal shaped pool called the pool of Siloam and it was fed with water by a channel from the Gihon spring now here's the explosion for y'all this is the picture and so what happened was a sewage pipe exploded in 2004 I wonder who had a hand in that because it's going to reveal something they did not know okay so here's a picture of the destruction and in the in the city of Jerusalem anytime a construction crew comes in who has to come alongside of them archaeology and in Jerusalem you can put a shovel in the dirt and you're going to turn up something so they don't go start construction so construction had to be halted here is another picture of the hole that is uh, that they are forming they're having to dig and as they began digging archaeologists are standing there and these machines are hitting clunk clank you know and all and they said stop you're hitting something what's under there when the construction crew began to work to repair the sewage pipe they uncovered these ancient stone steps that they could see led down to a pool and part of the pool was exposed so here are some of the steps some of the old pictures and now they have uncovered a lot more and if you see where my yellow circle is this shows some of the steps do you see where the people are this is this was where the road used to be so they they've uncovered all of this and they're digging down and they find these ancient steps so here's another picture of the steps they've been they have cleared it and made it now it's a tourist attraction and your guide will take you there and tell you all about it here is another picture showing a, a more expansive view and you can even see the sewage pipe they had to put a new one in so they've been working on redoing all of this but those are the steps that led down into the pool of Siloam which they've uncovered part of it so let's look at the historical background of this pool number one we know it came from the Gihon spring and who's the source God himself is the source now the water runs through Hezekiah's tunnel built in 701 BC to prevent Jerusalem's water source from being cut off by the warring army of the Assyrians now here is a picture that shows you as they have uncovered some of the pool now you see the steps leading down and there's the pool 
right there king hezekiah was responsible for the tunnel to divert the water and that water in that pool comes from the slow uh, from the gihon springs so we've got water they've uncovered part of it the water source comes from the gihon spring in the city of david now here's another picture of the steps and in jerusalem it said the archaeologists have uncovered and they said there's only two places in all of jerusalem that have the same step pattern four steps flat four steps flat and it's the pools the steps leading down to the pool of siloam and the steps ascending the temple mount do you think that's important yes very important now here is the lot of my pictures now are going to be from artist rendition so this the this was the size of two olympic swimming pools you know we don't we think of a little pool no this was two olympic pools and you see how uh, they have what it would look like if it were all uncovered this was a large purification those are called a mitzvah in uh, hebrew and they had little cleansing things all over because people had to clean themselves physically before they were allowed to go up to the temple now just during the jewish holy festivals three times a year remember the men of israel had to go to the festival in jerusalem this is passover pentecost and feast of tabernacles or sukkot and so every time they came you are going to have in excess of a million extra people in jerusalem and this was the pool where they went to cleanse themselves before they ascend to the temple all right now it accommodated thousands of pilgrims that would journey to Jerusalem for these three required feasts. The historian Josephus, who lived during this time of Christ, he said up to a million, some say two million, Jews would make these pilgrimages to Jerusalem on these holy festivals, and they had to clean themselves in that pool, and then, and then they could go up to the temple and bring their offering, their pigeon, or whatever they had. So the pool is more than just a place for refreshing and rehydrating. It was a mikvah. It's a public bath for cleansing, for the pilgrims to be ritually pure because they are now going to make a fourth-mile journey all uphill to ascend to the temple to worship God. Y'all getting the connection here? Okay. So the water from the pool of Siloam is carried and we'll do a lesson on this during the water libation ceremony at the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. And they did this on the day Jesus stood up and said, if anyone thirst, let him look to me. And they were doing this water libation ceremony, and we will look at that uh, in another lesson. So this is part of the pool. I've got a picture here for you. It is a huge 200-foot pool underground. It had stairs around it, and later... They're going to find a road underground that has steps that go from the pool to the temple. Now, this gets really exciting. So I want you to look at my map again. And in the kind of the orange oval, this is our city of David. And do you see the yellow arrow? The bottom of it is from the pool of Siloam. And I've got to purify myself there. And then I will make a quarter of a mile all uphill ascent to the temple mount at the top of the yellow arrow y'all with me okay good now from the pool to the temple mount is about 2,000 feet uphill and in hebrew on these feast days this is what they say in hebrew come lift your feet and go up because we must be cleansed before we can ascend to god's holy place the steps I just saw this yesterday. The steps lead down into the pool for purification. Does this not tell you a place of humility? I'm going down into the pool for purification and for cleansing before I can ascend out of that pool now and make the journey to God's presence. Now, see, I, I thought that was just... Okay. So here is an artist's rendition, and you see the red arrow at the bottom. I'm in the pool of Siloam. 
This is like being cleansed and purified in the water from God himself. And now I'm going to make the journey up to the temple that you see at the top of the red arrow. Now they have uncovered the road, the steps that the pilgrims used to walk on. See, none of this was open when I was there. The pilgrim road, and they are uncovering it. You may have seen specials on TV, but they are uncovering, and these are some of the steps. They're underground. They weren't underground, but you know with all the damage when uh, they came in and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, they destroyed so much. And so a lot of this was underground, and they're taking away the rubble, and this is what they're finding. They say the road was about three to five times wider than the excavation, and on the road going up to the temple, there were shops and stalls. What do people need? Some of them have come a long distance. They may need a pigeon for their offering or whatever they're going to need, or if it's first fruits or whatever it is. So you had shops and stalls on the sides. They say the road took about 10 years to build, and they said it was built by Pontius Pilate, but another guy says Herod, so I'm... Somebody built it. Now, if you see this picture, the road is intact in some places. You can see on the left, some of the steps look pretty good, and then on the right, it doesn't look so good. And that's because when Rome came in, they destroyed a lot, and they were tearing stuff up because they were looking for Jews that were hiding. Now, this is another picture of some of the stuff they've renovated, and you see these steps, and people now can actually, you can actually go on the steps. So these impressive steps, these are some that they've really uh, renovated that look really good. They're part of that Jerusalem Pilgrim Road leading from the Pool of Siloam up to the Temple Mount. And here's another picture, just showing you that they're working on this. And this, they, in some of the places when you first go in, they set up little shops and stalls on the side to show you what it would have been like. And remember, it's at least three to five times wider. So it had to accommodate a lot of people. Here's an artist's picture of the people ascending. And do you remember some of the Psalms now? Psalms of ascent. Yeah, I'll go back and read them now that you know where they were when they are doing the Psalms of ascent and saying uh, these different things. And you see they're bringing their fruit, they're bringing their offerings, and they're coming up to the temple mount there in psalm 46 4 it says there is a river the streams whereof shall make glad the city of god the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high who is the source of all of the water god himself river in hebrew is nahar and it means a perennial spring it is a constantly flowing source of clear, fresh water. And in Hebrew, you can see the word there, and it means living water. Never stagnant. It is living water. Now, verse 5 of Psalm 46. This is going to jump out at you, maybe. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her just at the break of dawn. The battle is the Lord's. And when did he say he will be there? At the break of dawn. Does that sound like in the nick of time? Okay. Let's look at this historical background a minute. This was so cool. God's deliverance of Jerusalem from the Assyrians in the time of Hezekiah. Remember the night the, hundred, the angel killed the 185,000? The people are confined because of the Assyrian army camped about them. And now I want to connect all this together because water is a precious commodity. Hezekiah built that underground water system. He connected the Gihon Spring to the Siloam Pool. God is the source of it all, right? Listen to 2 Kings 19.35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out. He struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning... Everybody was dead. And that psalm that's based on this uh, scene, he will save her at the break of day. Don't, isn't it awesome how God's word fits together? And you see this in this psalm that's based on that Assyrian war, and then you come read this early in the morning. 
There's only one person that could have inspired this book. Only one. You and I are to depend on our hidden spiritual resources. The Gihon Spring was hidden. The tunnel was hidden. The shaft. They come from God alone. So no matter what my circumstances are, I can drink at the river of his joy and blessing. And I'm going to find the strength and the peace that I need. Look at this picture taken in 1900 to 1920. This is the entrance to the Gihon Spring, and it was called the Virgin's Fountain. Now, isn't that cool? The water from the Gihon Springs, a type of God the Father, was sent to the pool of Siloam, and Siloam means sent, by cutting through solid rock. Hang with me. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, talking about the children of Israel, they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was who? Jesus Christ. Now I want you to look at the slides and just follow what I'm saying. In the upper right corner is the Gihon Spring, eternal source of living water, represents God the Father. He sent to the pool of Siloam that same water for purification so we could be pure. And how did he do it? Who did he send? Jesus Christ, the solid rock. It was cut through solid rock, and Jesus is the solid rock. So the Gihon Spring went through solid rock and gave us the Siloam pool for refreshing and purification. Now, if that doesn't float your boat, something's wrong. That is the most amazing thing that I have learned. Isn't that awesome? All praise to God for this. Because this, this is a miracle. And when you learn what these things mean, that tunnel chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, leaving their scars of the pickaxe to bring us that water. It's amazing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we thank you.